podcast where we explore, learn, and create with ordinary people who do extraordinary things. Yes and is the powerful, intentional, and creative practice of building with other people. The name comes from improvisational theater. So what is it? One, paying attention. Two, affirming. And three, building on what others give you. That's it. Yes and. I'm Nadja. And I'm Omar. And we're broadcasting from the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Yes And Cafe. We have two wonderful guests today, uh, Leah Miller, who is Executive Director of the Creative Aging Network, and Alexis Brown, who will be joining us in a little bit. She is a graduate student here at UNC Greensboro. So uh, let me bring in Leah. Leah is, as I mentioned, the Executive Director of Creative Aging Network. Uh, She received her Bachelor of Fine Arts with a concentration in video from Savannah College in Art and Design, and she also studied in England and Italy. Uh, She worked in TV, news, and ad agencies for seven years before switching careers to find more fulfilling work as a recreation assistant at a nursing home. Seeing the need for more meaningful engagement, uh, she co-founded the Evergreens Renaissance Program in 2003 to provide creative classes and continuing education for the nursing home residents. And this led to her establishing the Creative Aging Network, NC, Can NC. As a co-founder, Leah worked with various aging service providers in Greensboro while simultaneously launching CAN-NC. In 2012, she began working full-time with CAN-NC and enjoys developing visual arts programs such as Art Mail for older adults. She serves on various panels and facilitates sessions on creativity and aging at conferences throughout the state and also provides training, consultation, and educational presentations and workshops in the field of creative aging for healthcare staff, artists, older adults, and those closest to them. Welcome, Leah. Thank you for having me. It's really great to have you on the Yes And Cafe. As I think about and as I read about your biography and what you've accomplished, you seem to be very caring of other people and trying to find ways of supporting their development, helping them to grow, to learn at all ages. And you have a particular focus on older residents. Was this a personal thing for you that you got into this area of caretaking artwork education? Yes, it was. I myself am a visual artist and my art teacher that I grew up going to for classes every Tuesday afternoon was like a second mother to me. I started taking classes from her when I was 10 years old. And at that time, she seemed ancient and she was just really funny and very caring. And I loved going to visit her. I stayed through classes with her through high school and then went off to college and I would come home and visit her when I visited my family. And, you know, she never changed from the time I was 10 until literally the day she died. She was like the same person. She just always seemed ancient in a good way. So she had a really positive impact on my life. And I also was a bit of a strange kid. I did play outside and I did have friends my age, but I also really loved going to visit the older people in the neighborhood. They would feed me (laughs) really delicious treats and they had these amazing stories. You know, so I, I learned how to cook. I learned about their lives and their travels and 
one woman in particular had traveled the world with her husband and she herself was a painter. So as I got older and, you know, worked in first in the field of video production, I kind of recognized that something was missing from my life. And I decided that I wanted to pursue a more creative path that had what I felt was a more positive impact on others. Yeah, well, you really made it work and it's really commendable. I'm always very impressed when people change careers because it takes courage to do that. It sounds like you really followed your heart and it's wonderful to see how, how successful you've been able to create the organization and really support many people in, in what you want to see them have in their own lives. Yeah. So Leah, can you share more about that? The Creative Aging Network, tell us what that means. What is creative aging? So creative aging is really finding ways to use your creativity or imagination as you get older to improve your health, to learn new skills, to develop new social relationships, really to work your brain and your body. So we provide a variety of multidisciplinary programs, dance, creative movement, theater, poetry, most of what we do is visual arts because that's mostly what, you know, people that we work with are asking us for. But we do offer, a, you know, a wide array of programming for those who are interested. And so this is something that you're doing with the community, with people are taking classes at the facility where you're working or... Right. So we have a property here in Greensboro, and we were fortunate enough to get the property donated to us in January of 2019. And we've been able to establish artist studios for people to rent. And we're really still working to make it into a hub for intergenerational and multicultural learning to benefit older adults. And so we have, you know, our youngest studio renter is 12 and our oldest is 81. Uh, we have someone from Mexico, some folks who are Montagnard, um, you know, just try to really be accepting and open and inclusive for all those who want to engage and participate in what we're doing. Really, the bulk of the work we have done, though, and how we got started was working with residents in long-term care settings like skilled care, assisted living, memory care. And we did that because I had worked in a skilled care community and recognized that there was little opportunity for lifelong learning and creative expression and growth. And so I just, I really felt like we were doing a disservice to our older population. This is a group of people who, you know, hold our culture and traditions and pass those down and have a tremendous amount of knowledge. They've really created the world that we live in um, and we should honor them and provide a better, you know, second half of life. I love the way that you're describing what it is that folks who are older in our society have to give. And I was thinking when you were saying that when you were a kid, you you sort of gravitated towards the older members of the community because they had yummy stuff to eat. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it seems like you also found it helpful as a child to be in their presence. You know, I was just thinking about it. Now, American society is very different. There's different kinds of cultures and societies within American society. However, I think my overall sense is that older people tend to be not discarded in some cases, yes, but I don't think that they see the same value that you're talking about. Or maybe I had that experience myself to some degree when I was younger, and I felt like a little weird that I liked being with 
much older people. Like when I was in my 20s, I really loved being with people who were, you know, senior citizens. And I'm wondering if you could maybe say a little bit about how you structure that. You talked about your studios being multi-generational. And if it's just that you just create that space, or are you sort of intentional in talking about the value of multi-generational learning and growth? We are very intentional and have been from the very beginning. Diversity has always been important to me personally. So building a board of directors, it was very important to have representation of different races, different ages, different genders, LGBT, you know, just really to be inclusive and representative of our community. We do work across the state, but right now the board members we have are local. Although with board meetings being virtual now, it's a lot easier for us to reach out to people across the state. So we've been talking about doing that to really diversify even more and try to have some people represented from other parts of the state, rural and urban. But yes, it's been an intentional decision and it's really been talking with people that we know to spread the word, to invite people to come in and have a studio space here. Do you have a favorite story to share about what kind of impact these creative activities have had on people or a story about someone that you've worked with? Is there anything that comes to mind that stands out for you as a transformative experience or an example of how valuable this kind of creative aging network can be for people? There are a lot of stories, but I'll tell you. I'm sure there's a hundred. Yeah. A favorite. There are dozens. Yeah. I'll tell you the one that really, I think, started me on this journey more so than anything else. And that is when I was working in skilled care in the beginning of my years in skilled care. And we had set up an art studio and we had residents that would come in to the studio and paint. And I was having a conversation with a woman. I had walked down the hallway and I saw her in there in the studio painting. And I went and just sat down and started talking with her about her artwork. And she was saying how much it meant to her to be able to come in and paint whenever she felt like it and to be in the space with other people who had similar interests. You know, it had strengthened her friendships and she had made new friends because of it. And before the classes, she had felt really depressed and really isolated. And she said to me, you know, if I didn't have this art, I would be dead right now. And that really, I think I felt like I felt that because as an artist myself, it was sort of the first time I thought about myself as an older person. And what if I were in a facility is actually uh, considered an F word in the industry of aging. If I was in a community and I didn't have access to the arts, which has been a core part of my life since I was very young, what would that mean to me? And that really is when it hit me that there are probably hundreds of thousands of people that are older that are in that situation where they don't have an option, they don't have an opportunity. And so it really is about providing access to the arts older adults that otherwise might not have access. It's interesting. You know, Nanja and I have been teaching for some years together, and she's a scientist, I'm a historian. And we talk a lot about how we create these categories, and we feel like we can't stretch beyond our disciplinary training. And now you're trained as as an artist, and you're trained in, in multimedia. But 
one of the things I found so helpful in working with Nadja is that she relates to me as more than just my disciplinary training, but she relates to me as a fellow curious person who's interested in the sciences and is, has the capacity. And I was wondering how you think about this distinction we often make in societies where some people say, oh, no, no, I'm not, a, I'm not an artist or, you know, that, oh, no, no, that's, that's, I don't do that. Yet, it seems like from the very beginning, we're all artists and scientists. We're all curious. And at some point, we, we get told that we're either not that thing or you're just this other thing. So I was wondering if you could say a little bit about how you think about these labels and categories. I hear I am not an artist all the time. That is the most common phrase that I hear. And there also have been so many times that when I'm doing a class and people have decided to participate, and we frequently have people just sit and watch until they're comfortable participating. So that could be two classes or it could be 10 classes. It's until they feel safe that they're not going to be judged because at some point in their life, they were judged to either not be a good artist or to just not be able to be an artist. And the stories that I've heard from people that are 80, 90 years old that say, I remember in second grade, I drew a tree for a class and my teacher told me it was wrong and I got an F. And I said, well, why was it wrong? Well, because the power company had come and cut all the branches off of one side. So when I drew the tree, I only drew it with branches coming off of one side. And she said, I never drew again until now. And so those memories, like teachers and and adults, parents as well, don't realize the damage that they do to our imagination and curiosity just with those kind of comments. And it seems like the flip side is, how much power we have to relate to each other as artists and scientists and writers and poets and musicians. And there's a way in which we can give that to each other. Your story really is shocking to me because that person was living with decades and decades of feeling inadequate and there was no need for that. It's a tragedy that we do that to each other as fellow human beings. But staying with positive, I mean, you created an organization here where you do the positive work of uplifting. And so I, I just wanted to say thank you as a, just a fellow Greensborian. Oh, thank you. I feel very privileged to be able to do this. You know, it's I actually was talking with my oldest daughter the other day, and uh, she has found her passion in computer science, and she was very excited about it. And I said, now you know how I feel every day going to work. It's a hard job, but it's so worth it because when you see people experience the sort of the art trance where they just escape from reality for a little while and then they produce something that they're happy with and they want to show it off. I mean, that just that just means everything. Did you say art trance? Is that the word you used? Art trance. Yeah, you kind of disappear <laughs> from reality. Yeah, that's great. I've heard the word flow sometimes to describe when people are in their element, they're doing their thing and they kind of lose track of time. Thank you so much, Leah. So we're going to bring in our other guest, Alexis Brown. 
Alexis is a graduate of UNC Greensboro. She studied African-American and African diaspora studies. Uh, She hails from Salisbury, North Carolina, and she is currently a graduate student at UNC Greensboro, where she is in the communication studies department working on her master's. And both Dr. Check and I have the pleasure of having Alexis as our graduate teaching assistant for a course called How Do We Know What We Know? Power, Epistemology, and Methodology. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I was thinking that one of the things you're going through is a transition sort of in between being a student, but also being a teacher, because, you know, as a teaching assistant, you are functioning in that capacity. And I was wondering what your experience is with that and also this idea of these categories where, you know, a person is an artist, they're not an artist, you are a student or you're not a student. How do you think about these categories and how do you move through them? I will honestly say that probably the biggest lesson that I've learned throughout this pandemic and over the past year, I would definitely say I learned how to be free and be me, accept who I am. You know, I learned not to keep myself in the box and kind of, you know, just push back. It was a very hard lesson because I feel as someone who has been in school for what, let's say, I guess, what, 15 years, a long time, um, we're definitely taught to stay in a box. And I felt like getting into that transition was very hard because I still find myself sometimes when I'm teaching and I feel like it's very easy to do so over Zoom where I'm raising my hand like I'm a student. And I find myself definitely like, okay, no, put your hand down. And then I know sometimes where there may be a case where if we have like a guest uh, lecturer and they ask a question, it's like, oh my gosh, I really want to answer that. It's like, no, Lexi, I have to kind of sit on my hands because I want to participate. I was definitely that student that loved to engage and loved to participate. But now I'm kind of struggling a little bit to switch roles. One thing that I will say I have learned is just to kind of let it flow. And, you know, I learned that there's nothing wrong with, you know, engaging with the students and just kind of bringing them in. Well, I can speak to the fact that you really go with the flow. I remember as an undergraduate several years ago, when I asked for a participant, you came up and participated in a little bit of a role play in front of the whole class. And I was so moved because you could put the call out, but nobody could respond. And you did. And it changed the entire character of the classroom. And people were laughing. And it was really appreciated. So it takes courage to do that. And I think it takes courage to put yourself out there as an artist, as a, you know, as a scientist, as a musician, as a human being. Do you have any particular questions for Leah, Alexis? What is your advice to someone who, I guess you could say, walked the straight and narrow as far as like their career, like, you know, stayed in school and focused on getting that career of like a lawyer or a doctor or something? What do you, what advice do you give to them who is like, I'd rather shift gears and kind of go into more of the artsy field. What advice would you give a person like that? That's a really good question. I think that, you know, I really appreciated what you said before about being yourself. Uh, It's good that you've discovered that at a young age. I'm older and recently when we got the property really focused on creating an environment where people can be their authentic selves. I think that's really crucially important. I think that it takes for people to either make their career more artistic or to switch careers. It takes a lot of soul searching. And I think if you have internally the willingness to take risk, uh, you know, the comfort with taking risk, or if you have a strong support system around you, 
you need to have at least one of those, I think, to be able to do that successfully. Thank you so much. And I agree, support system is very important. I know for myself, I have a great support system. I love my family to death. Sometimes it does kind of feel like I'm kind of being pushed in a certain direction because, of course, I think every family wants their kids or grandkids to be successful and do well in life. But I think sometimes we're so focused on having them do things the right way that we're keeping them from their passions. I'm realizing also through this conversation that this idea of what the passions are, it seems like there's also an interplay here between the self and the external world. I think there's value to this idea of pursuing your passion, but also we may not know what our passion is until someone introduces us to something new. And so I love how, Leah, what you're doing is giving people the opportunity to explore something that, you know, maybe it's something that's been a part of their whole lives, or maybe they're 80 years old and they've never held a paintbrush and now they're doing it for the first time or dancing or or writing or whatever, you know, they're doing creative outlets. And it makes me think that part of what you're doing is also creating opportunities for human expression to be different and changing. Do you think that's the case? Oh, definitely. I think the arts are a fantastic way for people to express themselves beyond words. And I think that our society is such that we are often, many of us are, not me, but a lot of people I know are uncomfortable if someone is angry, if someone is sad, you know, if someone's crying. We train our teaching artists to allow the expression to happen. You know, we work with people with dementia who many times are just as pleasant as can be. Occasionally, there may be a situation where someone gets frustrated and because they're frustrated and they might not have the ability to verbalize what they're experiencing, they may, you know, show anger or they may begin to cry. And it's just critically important that we validate people's feelings and we allow them to have those feelings. And I just feel like art is such a a beautiful way to be able to express the wide range of emotions that often society doesn't let us express. You know, I hear staff sometimes telling someone, oh, don't cry, it'll be okay. And I say, well, you know what, if you need to cry, let me get you a Kleenex. I'll sit right here with you. We really need to allow people to have those expressions and those emotions and be their authentic selves. It's interesting. It's not as if in the past I didn't know that one could express themselves by painting or through music. But the way that we're talking about it right now, I think that I realize just how biased I am towards the spoken word and prioritize that as if it is more important than painting. And I guess I feel like I'm revealing my anti-art <laughs> bias in, in some ways. Or maybe it's just I'm a product of our society where we poo-poo expressions that are non-verbal. And I think what you're saying is that using art expands our ability to express so much more than what we can through the spoken word, for instance. Definitely. I believe that. We are also a society that's visual. You know, we're, language is critically important and vision is critically important. And often as we age, we, you know, our vision begins to decline. Our hearing begins to decline. We have to have other opportunities, other ways for people to express themselves. It's part of being a whole person, right? So yes, people need food. They need the basics. They need food. They need water. They may need medication. 
But what do we need beyond that to live a life that's worthwhile, to live a life of value? It's different for different people. But to me, that's the arts and all their different forms. I I find that to be really critically important to my health and well-being. And that's no different as I age. And it's no different from other people as they age. So you mentioned earlier a little bit, you kind of touched on the idea of, of ageism and it's prevalent in our society. And we, in many ways, have cast aside our older population. I think the pandemic has even shed more light on the issue. And there are many people who are older, who are socially isolated, which is extremely bad for their health. Being isolated, being socially isolated has been deemed as significant a health risk as smoking and heart disease. So bringing people together in ways that they can communicate with one another, that they can build relationships and not feel alone and learn something new, work their brains in a positive way to really make, you know, those new neurons continue to grow and develop and those transmitters really grow. I mean, it's incredibly important for our brains to not just sit in front of the television and watch it every day. That's a recipe for decline, but to learn something new, to do something different and to engage with other people. That's what's going to keep us healthier. That's the holistic approach to life, regardless of your age. But it's not as available for our older population because of ageism in our society, unfortunately. I really love the way that you talk about it, how it's part of being a whole person. And we don't allow ourselves to be fully human if we don't avail ourselves to the tools that we as human beings have created, including painting and music and poetry and other visual arts. And I was thinking, actually, Alexis, you know, as you're studying communication studies, what your thoughts are around this? Because I, you know, when I think of communication studies, Alexis, I think of, again, I'm biased towards the written word or the spoken word, but how do you think about this in terms of your studies? I feel like it's kind of a game of tug of war. Sometimes I feel like it's a way to express yourself. It's a way to have tough conversations about things like gender and racism and sexuality and things like that. But I also think that at times, some people's voices kind of get overlooked. So I think it's one of those things that it's kind of like a fight every day to get heard. I think that it kind of goes both ways. Let me put it to you like that. It's interesting. I was also thinking about how one of the words that we talk about is this word epistemology, ways of knowing things. And a concept that I learned from Fred Newman and Lois Holtzman, whose work I really have been influenced by, and I really always am trying to go back to to better understand, is this sort of epistemological bias. That is, this bias towards knowing stuff. And I feel like there's something about the arts for me when I play, I play a little guitar and I, I play a little piano and I'm trying to learn the trombone. But there's something about just fumbling around and losing myself in it that does not require knowing. And there's something very liberating about that and freeing. And I think that that's why people sometimes, I guess, have hobbies because it's a way of creating a different altered state, maybe, is an, a way of putting it. I was wondering, you know, what you think about that in terms of the conversations, Nadja in particular, off of our conversations about the epistemological bias that we kind of are always dealing with in our society. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking that 
you know, I guess we're stuck in this idea of knowing as if knowing is all about words in our heads. Like that's how we're taught. So when you talk about the epistemological bias, it seems like what we're talking about is that there's an expectation that you know stuff and you can put it into words and maybe verbalize it, right? Take the words in your head out of your mouth. And so I love this idea of engaging in different ways where there is an opportunity to give expression in other ways. And maybe that's as important of a way of knowing. That's what I was thinking. So I think we're wrapping up in terms of time here. Alexis, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Or Leah, is there anything else you'd like to share? I'd like to just go back to Dr. Check's point real quick. I definitely think that sometimes, like she said, sometimes words aren't enough. That's what I would say. Words aren't enough. Sometimes you can just look at someone's body language. In calm, we're very big on nonverbals. So I feel like when people, they use their nonverbals to express themselves. And I think that during these times when we do have Zoom classes, you know, when I look at my students, I can always tell what mood they're in. Some of them are really up and they're attentive and they're smiling. But then I could also tell the ones that are kind of slouched down, like, okay, this might not be a good day. Leah, is there anything else you'd like to add to the mix? I think the only other thing I would like to add is really the name of your podcast, Yes And Cafe. And I first heard that phrase in a drama class when I was in college, Yes And. We were doing an an improvisational exercise. And then I heard it again when I went through some training for a creative storytelling program called Time Slips, which really focuses on using imagination People with dementia using their imagination to make stories, not relying on memory, but being, you know, really creative and just as a facilitator, having to ask yes and, you know, acknowledge what they said and then ask for more information. And then again, when I went through a compassionate listening training, and I think that just sitting here with you all today and listening to each of you, I've learned things and I really feel much closer to you, even though we've spent less than an hour together. It just reminds me of the value of the phrase, yes, and to encourage one another to listen and particularly to listen to our older population who have tremendous life experience and a lot to give back. I would just like to say, think about that. Sit down with someone who's older, listen to their story. And instead of thinking about what you want to say next, say yes, and What a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for bringing it back to the theme of the podcast, Leah. You are masterful. And I am really looking forward to taking your advice to heart with my 97-year-old grandmother, who I get to speak with every week on the phone still, which is such a joy. And again, just to say, Leah, thank you for being such a champion of folks who are older in our community. And I think that this is really hitting home for me as my mother is 87 and she has so many stories. And I think that sometimes I find myself getting a little impatient and I think that you're inspiring me to just slow down and yes, and her evermore. So thank you for that. Thank you. 
Alexis, thank you for being with us too. It was really great to have your perspectives today. And one of the things that I love about Alexis is that she takes in conversations and then she does stuff with it. She's a very unusually talented student in that way. And I think that any student who has her as a teacher is very, very lucky because she really does yes and her students. So it's great to have you, Alexis. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was nice to meet you all. Likewise. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Take care, everybody. Many thanks to Ashley Scott, who did our logo, to Lloyd International Honors College, to University Communications, especially our producer, Matt Bryant, and to co-host Omar Ali, who also composed some of our music. <laughs>